we begin this Advent season together, we enter into this significant sacred time and four weeks, four weeks with four different themes, the hope of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and the love of Jesus. Advent is all about Jesus. And during these four weeks, we wanna shift, and so our minds and hearts and our souls are focused on the Lord. We wanna draw near to Jesus because there's no better place to be. And God is with us, and we celebrate this together. Today, we're also gonna take communion, and communion or baptism are two, really, Jesus not only participated, but tells us to continue to practice these. And they are more than just rituals, but they are rituals, and together, we enter in. So today, as you entered this room, hopefully you picked up the bread and cup. If not, you can just raise your hand or slide down the aisle and pick one up, because at the end of the message, we're gonna take communion together. And if you're at home, we also wanna participate with you so you can find a bread and cup at home as well. The significance of communion and the meaning of Christ's birth, they come together. And together, we as one family draw near to God with the promise that God draw, also draws near to us whenever we draw near to God. That's what's happening. That's in this room today. That's what it's all about. You can just push aside distractions today and focus on God and draw near to God. He loves you already, and we can return to him from any situation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your goodness your faithfulness, your kindness to us. And God, during this time, we wanna slow down. We wanna make room for you in our lives. And Jesus, lead us. We trust you. We wanna go deeper with you. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Advent literally means the coming and the arrival of Jesus. And I want you to really consider three different elements. First, there's a celebration of his birth, born in Bethlehem. And as you consider his birth, what an incredible gift. There's no greater gift than God's presence. And then second, there's a reception today in your heart, the Lord Jesus, to welcome him into your life. And then third, there's an anticipation for the return of Jesus. Advent includes all three. We look back and celebrate. Today, in this very moment right now, we enter in and we wanna receive the Lord Jesus in his fullness, and we also look forward with excitement to his return. God has a plan, and there'll be a consummation. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, his second coming is also in our minds today. Nearness to Jesus leads to hope, leads to peace, leads to joy, leads to love. And you don't receive more hope by chasing hope, you receive more hope by being near to Jesus. Jesus is the source of the hope and the peace and the love and the joy that we all desire. He's the source. So go to him and you'll receive the others in abundance. Abiding with Jesus is a choice. A relationship with Jesus is a choice. It's a daily decision. It's your most important decision during the day to abide with Jesus. Also, hope is a choice. Abiding is a choice. Hope is a choice. And the two are connected we choose Jesus today, we choose hope today, and hope is a confident and joyful trust in someone or something. Hope is relational, it comes down to trust. Confidence and joy that we have in this relationship with God. Sometimes we try to downplay the significance of hope, 
we say, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. And we try to act kind of tough and independent and individualistic. And we say hope's overrated. I propose to you today that hope is essential. Just like food and water is essential, air is essential, hope is also essential. You are designed to receive hope, to walk in hope, and it touches every part of your life. The hope of Jesus is what we need today and may it increase in our lives. The hope of Jesus increase. During these four weeks, there'll be a change. We're not just going through Advent because it's tradition. We're going through Advent because we're seeking God. We wanna draw close to Jesus. When it comes to hope, there's three scenarios that we wanna talk about today. They were common at the birth of Jesus and they're also relevant, the realities today. They're choices we make around hope because hope is a choice. And here's the first scenario. We run out of hope because of our disappointing circumstances. And all of us know what it's like to have disappointing circumstances. And sometimes we give circumstances too much power in our lives. Well, consider the birth of Jesus and the context. In Matthew chapter one, and you think about Joseph and Mary, starting in verse 20, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The last verse and the last word, sins. It was a time when Jesus was born where sin was prevalent in the land and people were looking for an answer, a solution with sin. There's a history of sacrifices and even animal sacrifices and temporary coverings. But when will the Messiah come to finally take away the penalty of sin and eventually take away the power and presence of sin? They were longing in a land of sin for the Savior. Not only that, in the context, Rome's oppressive leadership in hand was over the people. We don't know what it's like in America to have that level of oppression. In a lot of countries, that's what's faced today. But Rome had a heavy, strong grip over the people, and they were longing for different leadership. And as if that was not enough in terms of political and military, there's also the corruption of the religious leaders. Now, we know some corruption with religious leadership here in America, but this, again, is on a whole nother level. The system, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, designed to lead people into God's presence, were actually driving people away from God's presence. And maybe you've had that experience growing up, hypocrisy, mean, double standards. And out of that religious leadership, it leaves you confused about God in a taste in your mouth like that's not what I want. And yet, why am I still longing for God? There was confusion. There was corruption. It included all of the religious leadership at the time. It was a dark time. And not only that, but personally, for Mary and Joseph, they were young and in love. Have you ever been young and in love? You know what that's like. You know what that feels like. They had plans. They had dreams. They were going to get married. And then what happened? Something happened that they didn't expect. They didn't choose. They had no control over it. It was not easy to explain. They didn't have a solution. In fact, it was so dire and bleak that they concluded, we're going to need to get divorced. They were in love and their hearts are broken. And they don't understand it. 
Don't pretend like the birth of Jesus, it was just the cherry on top of the Sunday because everything was going so well at the time. That's not the case at all. As you study the Bible, it's important to enter into the reality of the spiritual darkness and the oppression and the corruption so that we will appreciate the light and the hope and the power of God. Jesus shines in the manger in a very hopeless time. And maybe you're going through a time that's kind of discouraging right now because of the circumstances and Christ wants to shine in the middle of what you're going through. His light is greater than all the sin in the context and he's gonna show up and he's gonna show up as savior. And not only that, but there's a reminder of God's provision as there's communication and the angel shows up and there's a plan And the virgin birth is amazing. And Joseph and Mary, you don't need to divorce. You're gonna stay together. Just keep trusting God through the difficult times. God hasn't forsaken you. God is with us. And that makes all the difference. There was a lot of decisions around hope in Jesus. And they're the same decisions we make today. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 12, we read, Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. And this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. You might think back to a time in your life where you were without God and without hope. That was my story until college, until I was a young adult. And if you don't have God, you ultimately don't have hope. They're inseparable. You can fake and manufacture like you have eternal abundant hope, but you really don't have it apart from God. And maybe you know God, but you've lost some hope because hope leaks, doesn't it? One moment you feel like you're close with God, full of hope, overcoming the world. And then what happens? A couple hours later, you feel hopeless. Hope leaks. I think of summertime and we'll have an air mattress that it's gonna be one of those floaters on the water and the kids are excited and we're gonna put it on the water and the sun's gonna be beaming and the water's refreshing and it's just so relaxing. You just feel like, I just wanna relax on this air mattress. And it's a nice picture to have this time of year in Seattle, isn't it? Sunshine, a little too hot and sweaty, the water's refreshing, you just wanna relax. And then what happens? You hear that little noise, and it's this little Should we have bought the more expensive air mattress? And that little and pretty soon, instead of just basking in the sunshine, you are sinking. And one minute, you're abiding and basking in your faith, and the next minute, you realize hope is leaking, and the circumstances wanna steal your hope, and now you're starting to sink. That's what happened to the prophet Elijah. People would look at him and say, oh, not Elijah. It happens to other people, but hope would never leak for Elijah because he's courageous and he's bold and he speaks the word. He's fearless. He takes on the false prophets. He takes on the false teaching. He'll go up to Mount Carmel, and then what'll happen? God will show up, fire from heaven, victories. It's clear in the land. That's our Elijah. And what happens after the victory? We can all relate. What happens after the mountaintop? Now Jezebel shows up. There's someone that shows up that's not coming from God. 
not bringing a message from God, a threat, a real threat, oppression, opposition, wants to take him down. He's gonna be dead, she's gonna kill him. There's still a spirit of Jezebel. There's people that show up against Christ, against God, wanna take away your, your joy, your peace, your closeness with God. They show up, what are you gonna do? He runs, he's scared. Fear never leads to hope. Hope is grounded in the love of Jesus, but we have lots of situations and even people that we become intimidated, fear takes over, and we run for the cave. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 19, as Elijah's in the cave, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. The courageous prophet was full of fear, not hope. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. Have you ever spent a night in a cave? A dark night of the soul? Have you felt that where you just sigh? I don't think this is working out. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like life. And you let your guard down and you sigh. He's in the cave. The Lord appears to Elijah because we have a God who meets us in the dark cave. And he appears and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And God will show up with a question. What are you doing here? Why are you here? I think the last few years, in some ways, the church in America kind of retreated into a cave. I mean, the pandemic hit and then there's more opposition. What's happening? Less people than ever are going to church. Numbers are down. Have you seen what's happening in the youngest generation? You've looked at the statistics. The church, it feels like for people, we're losing relevance. Our message, we're becoming unsure, we're getting quieter, we're retreating, we're trying to find safe caves. We feel like, oh no, the sky is falling, we're losing hope, we're getting more isolated. And all of that in a cave? And God comes alongside of his people and says, what are you doing in the cave? Did did I lead you to the cave? Do I want you to stay in the cave? Is the cave my will or your will? And it's been said, when the church loses her voice, society loses its mind. When the church becomes silent and loses her hope and loses her voice, society loses her mind. What are we seeing today? God's people retreating into a cave and society going sideways. Well, it's the same with Elijah. And God comes in and gently speaks to him, brings a word of hope. Here's the word. I've got 7,000 Elijah. You know what we need to hear in the cave? That it's not just about us. That being self-consumed is not gonna be the answer. The pity party is not gonna be the answer. Talking about how powerful Jezebel is all day long is not gonna be the answer. That's not where the hope's gonna come from. God says, you're in the cave, Elijah, but listen, I've got 7,000 in the land. We've been praying, crying out for the sound for the last eight years. And beyond eight years, eight decades, some people in this room and families in this room, decades for the sound. 
we believe that God still wants to do a transformative work by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring revival and change the sound. We believe that. We cry out for that. He who began a good work is faithful to complete the good work. Our hope is in the Lord. There's no limits to what God can do. The church should be the place where there's the most hope out of any place. It should be a place, not a building, but a people, a community, where when people around Auburn are wondering, where am I gonna find hope? Because my drugs aren't doing it. My family's not coming through. I don't have the money. I feel like taking my life. Where am I gonna find hope? People would say, I've gotta go to the church. There's something in those people. They've got this hope. And it's not just in the church. It's where they live, work, learn, or play. It's like they, wherever they are, God has 7,000. I believe God has more than 7,000 people in the sound right now that he has placed across the land to say, we love the Lord. We believe the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. And I believe that we can step out of the cave knowing there's 7,000, knowing that we are not gonna believe the narrative of hopelessness. I am not taking that to heart. Our hope is in the Lord. We trust the Lord. We're gonna walk with Jesus and God still has a plan. Well, you say that involves waiting. It does. I mean, eight years is a long time to wait. Maybe you've been praying for some things. I've been praying for some things for decades. It's not easy to wait. We live in a culture that doesn't like to wait. Give me a microwave. I don't want anything slow. I, I want the microwave. And I'm not even gonna wait. I'll push five minutes, but I'm not even gonna wait for the five minute beep. I'm gonna be checking, looking at three minutes to take that thing out. And we just wanna fast forward and be like Jesus next week. All our sins are gone. The church is vibrant across the land. Well, it takes some time when God does a deep work in our lives. It's a waiting with the hope. How do we wait? Hope waits well. Hope waits well, actively waiting. Psalm 31, verse 24. And there's shifts when we wait. Be strong, take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. When you put your hope in the Lord, it's like a choice, an anchor, where you're gonna drop your hope. When you put your hope in the Lord, he gives you his strength, he gives you his courage, and you might have some pushback today. You might say, you have no idea what I'm going through. You don't know my financial situation, you don't know the state of my marriage, how long it's been bad. You don't know what my kids are doing. You don't know how wayward things have gone. You don't know my job, how frustrated I am. You don't know the strife I'm going through. You don't know the brokenness of my life. You don't know the emotions I've been feeling. If you knew what the doctors told me about my health, if you knew, you wouldn't be preaching hope today. Hope's got no business where I'm at. Don't even wanna hear about that hope. Well, how do those two come together? I'm not here to belittle anything you or I are going through. I'm not here to belittle any of that. I'm simply saying when you get close to Jesus, he puts that in perspective and he leads you to a hope that is so much greater than our challenges. And we don't have to stay in the cave. We don't have to stay in the cave. So as we wait on the Lord, look at Hebrews 23, 10, 23. 
what can we do? Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. When people ask you, why do you have hope? How can you have hope right now? This is what you say, because my God is faithful. That's why I have hope. Well, what does that mean? God's faithful. That means God's faithful with his presence. God is with us. He will never leave me or forsake me. That is one thing I know that I know is that God will keep this word. He is faithful with his presence. He is faithful with his plan. God has a plan. Do the end times get crazy? They sure do. They sure do. Does the world flip upside down? Sure does. Sure does. Doesn't stop God's plan. Did they kill Jesus? Sure did. Did he lay down his life? Absolutely. Didn't stop the plan of the resurrection. Opposition to Jesus, persecution, does it increase the closer his return? It sure does. Doesn't stop him from returning. Is the devil real? Yes, but the devil's gonna get thrown in the lake of fire. Are the demons real? Yes, but they're not. They don't have control over you. The one who's in you, the Holy Spirit, you don't have to walk in fear. God's given you power and authority. The end of the story, we know it. We know it. So my hope comes in the presence of God, the plan of God. We know the end of the story and also the promises of God. God's promises never fail. Why do I have hope? My hope is not wavering like, oh, I sure hope God comes through on his promises. I don't know if he will. I'm I'm not sure. That's not my hope. Biblical hope is certainty, certainty. That's why we have hope. Well, Ephesians chapter one, there's a beautiful prayer you can check out this week where it says, and Paul is praying. I didn't wake up, by the way, today with my full voice, so I brought my water with me. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart, and he's praying for the people in Ephesus, and this prayer continues to echo, the eyes of our hearts would be opened, and we would know the hope that is ours in Jesus. Today, may our ears and eyes and minds be open because if you're feeling hopeless, the answer is to receive. The answer is to receive. And it's between you and Jesus today. Jesus wants to give. And now what's your role if you feel hopeless? Receive. Receive personally from Jesus. He's gonna fill you with hope. You don't have to run around in despair. Not anymore. You just come to Jesus. You've been looking, you've been wondering. Come to Jesus. That's the message when we run out of hope. Now, here's the second scenario. We have misplaced hope that is not where it belongs. Has anyone else ever misplaced their phone, misplaced their keys, misplaced their wallet? And have you ever misplaced hope? It's easy to do, misplaced hope. People will say, well, I have hope, but where's your hope? And it's important to slow down in this fast-paced culture and identify where am I putting my hope? And not only that, but how much of my hope is in these places or people? Why? What's the reason I'm putting my hope in these things? And then what are my other options? Where should my hope shift today? And when Jesus showed up, all of this is in play. Now, what are some wrong sources of hope? You can put your hope in your flesh. That means your ability, your experience, your resume. You can put in your own understanding, your knowledge. All those are blessings, 
but that's not where your ultimate hope belongs. What are the other options? Some people put hope in technology. We can solve anything. We just get more and more innovative. The next technological solution, it changes the world. We got hope in technology because so much is happening in that field right now. It's not the place. What about politicians? You kind of know we're just gonna hear more and more politics this whole next year. You kind of know that. Politics are important. I encourage you to vote, pray, be aware of what's going on, make good decisions, have good conversations. But wouldn't it be foolish to place our ultimate hope in any politician on any level or any party, political party, or along those lines thinking that's gonna, does anyone think a politician's gonna show up and just change everything in our country? Like the laws of the land are just gonna heal every human heart? No, we've gotta see bigger than that. We don't wanna have that as our ultimate hope. Well, I could get money in the Bible. It says money is a very, very common place where people put their hope and they try to find their security. And if they have enough money and they have the retirement and the economy is doing well enough and their stocks are okay, they feel hopeful. But the minute things don't start to break down financially, they just feel like there's a loss of hope. It's easy to be connected to all these things. And I could go on family and friends, different methods that have worked in the past. A lot of these are blessings. What's the danger if you put your hope in these? Here's the danger. They're going to let you down. Even your own spouse, who probably loves you more than anyone in the world, is gonna let you down sometimes. Your closest friends, they're not perfect. Don't add all that stress to them that they've gotta be the source of your hope. Your job, enjoy it. Do it under the Lord, but no career. See, not only will these things let you down, but they have limits. They can only bring so much. Even if your career, even if you have the best job in the room, that career is very limited and it can only bring you a said amount of hope. It can't bring more than that. It's not in there. And you can't pull out something if it's not in there. You can't do it. You've gotta go to the well that doesn't run dry. You you gotta go deeper in the Lord. And here's what John the Baptist brought. There was a forerunner and he brought shifts. You know what we need today in the land? Hope shifts. Oh, I, I used to put all my hope there. I didn't even realize I had my hope here. Oh, it was all about my reputation, my performance. It was in my bank account. And you know what happened? I started to shift and shift and shift. And unless we make the shifts, the hope doesn't come. In Mark chapter one, verses one through three, the beginning of the good news, we want good news, don't we? About Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. What does he say? I will send my messenger ahead of you. This is John the Baptist, who will prepare your way. He's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, that was written on every notebook when I went to college. Vox Clementis in Desertos, Latin, went to Dartmouth, a voice in the wilderness. What was amazing is when I showed up at college, I didn't even look at that. It meant nothing to me, clueless. And then I came into Jesus and I realized what's written on every notebook is John the Baptist, a voice calling in the wilderness in small town New Hampshire. And I was thinking about how many people would see that 
and not even think about it. John the Baptist shows up. He's a prophet. And what's his message? Repent. How many people today are tuned into God and hearing the message, repent? It's easy to miss it, but repentance leads to communion. We're gonna take communion at the end of this message. You know, in the Bible, when you take communion, an important part is repentance. You turn from your sins. You don't just take the bread and the cup. You stop and you repent. You turn from sin and you turn to the Savior. Repentance makes room for Jesus. Repentance leads to communing with Jesus. If there's no repentance, there's no revival. If there's no repentance, there's no shift. It's 180 degrees. Repentance makes room for God. John the Baptist declaring, make room for the Lord. Repent. And some ignored him. Oh, he eats locusts and wild honey and he's, he's different. And I'm not going down to that river. I'm not repenting. I'm not getting baptized. I'm not doing that stuff. And in pride, they rejected the message of the Lord. But others, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Make room for Jesus in your heart today, in your home today, in our church today. Make room for the Lord. The closer we get, and every day we're getting closer to Christ's return, what's the message? Repent and make room for the Lord. It's impossible for the churches across our land to be vibrant if there's no repentance. It's gotta happen. Make room for the Lord. Now, there's a song we sing at Christmas time, Joy to the World. Don't we like to sing that song? That's a great song, Joy to the World. That's just out of the verse. There's good news for this world. And we sing that, Joy to the World. But you know the line that gets overlooked in that song? Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare room, make space, for Jesus who knocks on the door of our heart today. Make room for the Lord. Let every heart. If you don't make room for the Lord, you won't be singing joy to the world. The only way you're singing with your lungs and your spirit, and the only way you're saying this world, there's joy for you, is if you make room for the Lord. So shift, shift today. And when you receive from the Lord, there's gonna be an overflow because God's not stingy with hope, there's gonna be an overflow. You might have the wrong source. You also, here's another trap, you might say my hope is in the Lord, but have the wrong expectations. There were some who waited for the Messiah. They were thrilled when he was born in Bethlehem. They were following him closely, but they had expectations that he would be a king like David, that it would be glorious like David and that he would overthrow Rome because they were fed up with Rome. And he would rise up a political leader, a military leader. He would rise up, you know, from Isaiah. Well, that's his second coming, not his first coming. And they had expectations for Jesus that weren't fulfilled. Do you ever have expectations about God from God that aren't fulfilled? And they didn't know how to compute when Jesus is born in a manger and he's from Nazareth and nothing good comes from Nazareth. And he's looking like a carpenter. He is a carpenter and he's washing feet. 
And now he's being killed on a cross. He's supposed to be overthrowing Rome, political, military might, and we're looking at him bleeding with nails in his hands and his feet. And a lot of the disciples just desert him. And a lot of people felt disappointed because Jesus didn't come through like they expected him to come through. You've been there before, going through life. Lazarus died, Mary and Martha showed up. They were upset at Jesus. Have you been upset at Jesus? They felt like Jesus blew it. Have you felt that way, like Jesus really blew it? They even said, Jesus, if you showed up, our brother wouldn't have died. There would have been healing. We wouldn't be grieving. You were late. You didn't care. Jesus took that and then explained, this is for the glory of God. Without the death, there's no resurrection. God still has a plan. God is still good. And then he goes over to the grave and he calls Lazarus to come forth. How do you think Mary and at that point, Martha felt as now Lazarus is back alive. Um, you know, Jesus, everything we said about you being late, like, uh, I think your timing was pretty good. You, you know how we were talking about how you blew it? Um, yeah, we're just gonna acknowledge you're wise. And that, uh, yeah, God, you're still in control. Our bad, our bad, right? Quick confession time. Have you ever gone on in life and looked back 10 years later and thought, you know, God's plan was a little better than I realized at the moment? What do you think it's gonna be like when we show up in heaven and there's people from every nation, tongue, and tribe and we just see what God's done, how the church in the countries today that are the most persecuted, the church is the boldest and united. What do you think we're gonna see from God's perspective finally? We're gonna bow down and worship Jesus like they did when Lazarus came forth from the grave. You see these shifts in hope, God works in unlikely ways, with unlikely timing, in unlikely places, with unlikely people. His thoughts and ways are above ours. And sometimes we need to step out of our own preconceived notions about what God does and doesn't do and how he does it or shouldn't do it. And instead of that, we just come down, instead of despair, we come down and bow down with Jesus and just acknowledge that he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God provides hope in the most difficult situations. Who is God gonna use in the coming years in the sound? Where is God gonna move? I believe that God is gonna move mightily and it's not gonna be related to your bank account, how many years you've been in church, not even as good as it is, how many verses you memorized. It's gonna have nothing to do with your career your promotion on the job, it's not gonna be related to your money, your retirement plan, which neighborhood you're in, how nice your car and house is. I don't believe any of that or what denomination you're in. I don't think it's related to any of that. Here's what I think it comes down to. Who's honest, who's hungry, who's humble, who's teachable, Who's gonna make room for the Savior in their heart and in their home and in their church and want God's presence? You say, where is faith going in America? What's gonna happen with this and that and this and the other? 
We know exactly where it's going. It's the same place it's been for the last 2,000 years. Whoever's honest and humble and hungry and seeks after God's presence, God shows up. Don't you wanna be one of those 7,000 that's just standing strong, ready in this culture to not back down, to speak the name of Jesus, to live for him, to bring the hope that this world is starving for? Do you know how many people in Auburn right now are addicted, who are thinking about suicide, feel all alone, don't know where to turn, desperate, praying that God would do something. They don't even know who God is. And they're just looking around like, where could the hope come from in 2023? and you just walk humbly with Jesus, repent and shift your hope to the Lord and watch what God will do. Trust the Lord. The third option, we can live with an indestructible hope because of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 40, let's all say these verses together. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Wouldn't it do your soul some good to read that every day this week? Wouldn't it do your soul some good to just say that out loud every day this week? Your hope is only as strong as the one in whom you hope. If you're running low on hope these days, it's because your hope is not in the Lord. When your hope is in the Lord, your hope is stronger than the challenges you face. Tim Keller wrote this devotion on hope that stood out to me. I wanted to share it with you a couple quotes. One of the reasons for the remarkable rise of Christianity in its earliest centuries was that it offered hope in the face of numerous pandemics that were devastating the Roman world. Kyle Harper, a historian who's uh, written about that time, talks about how Christianity kept thriving and growing in the bleakness of those times. He said, the people were called to see the story of this life as just one of the stories in which they lived. The hidden map was the larger picture. There were people who followed Jesus, who saw the story that was unfolding and the bleakness in the land, but they saw a greater story. And I love that phrase, the hidden map of the second story the greater story, and they lived in that hope. Now, <clears throat> Keller points out the biblical world word for hope, and we translate it in English with a very weak word for hope, like, oh, I hope, I wish, maybe. He said the biblical word for hope means profound certainty. When we hope in the Lord, our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus, profound certainty, and all this hope centers on one explosive event, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the hope that God offers the world, and this is the hope that people have lost. Faith in the resurrection implants that hope into the root of our souls 
it becomes such a part of who we are that we can face anything. Don't you love that hope? That hope is so deeply in us that we can literally face anything and not only face it, but bring that hope to other people who are also facing it and don't have hope. That is the story as you open your Bible in the book of Acts. That is the story of the church, the Jesus movement throughout all the centuries. And it's the story for such a time as this. Romans 15, 13 reminds us hope is relational. May the God of hope, that's who we worship, fill you, a filling with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, do you think God is running out of hope in 2023? You know what's not happening in heaven? God is, I don't know, a little disappointed with the amount of hope in heaven right now. And he's saying it's been a tough year. You know, uh, he just doesn't have as much hope to give this year. It's been a tough year. Things are tight with hope and he's running low. So he's gonna ration out hope. He doesn't have much. So he needs you to just not expect much or want much. And he's just gonna give you a couple of crumbs, a couple of just small rations of hope. And you're just gonna need to be really grateful for that hope and pretend like it's a lot more than what you're really getting because he's running low, rations are small, and he's just got a little bit of hope left because it's 2023 and things are kind of tough. That's not our God. God's hope is not running low today. There is no bottom to the supply of the hope God wants to bring in our lives. And this is not a maybe hope. This is a certain hope that Christ is who he is, that his hope is real, that he's risen, that he's returning. He keeps every promise and he's generous. Have you opened your mind and heart and soul to Jesus recently and just received his indestructible hope? Abiding with that hope every day. Colossians 1.27, see here's the key, our last verse. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, God's glory and hope. Not only in you, but in your home. Do you have a fresh vision of your home? Christ's hope in your home, in the churches across the land. The key is the presence of Jesus. So what have we talked about today? If you're feeling hopeless, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to buy in and believe the narrative of hopelessness. You can turn to Jesus and receive fresh hope right now. If you've misplaced your hope, it's time to repent. It's time to repent and return to God and put your hope in God. And if God has revealed and supplied this hope right now in your life that is greater than the challenges that you're experiencing, it's time to run with that hope and lead others to that hope. We are going to take communion and as you hold these elements, we have the bread and we have the cup and you might be wondering, why would we take communion when we're talking about the birth of Christ? And here's the answer. You can't sever the birth of Christ from the death and the resurrection of Christ. 
They are connected together. If there's no birth, there's no death and resurrection. If there's no birth, we've got no elements to hold today. But the birth of Jesus leads to, we read it today, Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. The birth of Jesus, why did it happen? So that we could be holding this cup today, this bread today, these elements today. And as you think about these elements, I'm gonna ask you for the next three minutes to give Jesus your undivided attention, push away any distractions, and focus completely your heart and mind and soul on Jesus. As you see that there's bread and hold the bread, let's think about the body of Jesus. Starting in a manger as a baby, and then how he lived, how he led, how he loved. You think about the body of Jesus today. Think about Jesus on the cross where he was brutally murdered, but more importantly, he laid down his life. Think about the body of Jesus on that cross. He became sin so that we could be forgiven of all our sins. He died so that we could be given his righteousness. It required a sacrifice, his body, God and human on the cross, dying in our place. As you hold this bread, think about your savior's body dying in your place, the wrath of God upon him. And it's a time to repent. Before you take the bread, repent. Let God search your heart and repent. If you've got some secret sins, repent. If you've got pride and look down on people, repent. If you haven't been doing what God's called you to do, repent. If you haven't been making a difference and bringing the hope of Jesus in your neighborhood, repent. If you've been silent about the Lord, repent. If you've been selfish with your family, repent. Repent in this place. Make room for God in your life. If your attitude has been off, repent. If you've been carrying, complaining and worrying and not trusting God, repent. Repent today. Whatever's stealing your hope, sin steals hope. Repent. Freedom today because of the body of Jesus. And we hold this bread together. We worship Jesus together. And we are one body because of his body. And we take this bread together to honor his body and to remember that we are one body in Christ. Let's take the bread. And we open up the cup and this represents his blood that was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, none of us have any hope. Why? Because there's only one name under heaven by which we may be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And the blood is necessary for the forgiveness. The blood's important. Don't ever be ashamed of the blood of Jesus. It covers our sin. Completely forgiven. Because the covenant, the new covenant through his blood. Just 
humble yourself before the Lord. Acknowledge his grace and goodness, his mercy is for eternity and is for today. And then we drink the cup together. Jesus, we worship you together in spirit and in truth. Jesus, we offer ourselves right now to you in worship. And just take a moment right now, just take a moment with the Lord. Worship is so much deeper than the songs we sang today. It's so much deeper than the elements we just participated in together. God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And worship is when we receive his presence and then we bow down and trust him and offer ourselves, our lives fully to him. And there's no greater end to this time together than to be in his presence and to offer ourselves in worship. And God, fill your worshipers today with hope. God, fill your worshipers today. Fill us today, God, with your presence, God. We're asking for a filling, God. We're asking today. We're seeking you today. We worship you in this place, Jesus. You have our attention, God. You have our affection. We trust you today. We're confident that you're gonna do great things that God, your hope is gonna prevail in the land. God, we will speak your hope. We will think about, meditate on your hope. We will carry your hope, God, your indestructible hope, Jesus. We thank you for it today. We give you praise today. God, bring victories in this land and in our homes and in our hearts. And we pray in your name, Lord. Thank you, God, amen.